I'm so grateful to the Lord for this worship service this morning. Thank you for praying, uh, not only for me, but for our entire church, uh, for our leadership, as well as for every single member of our church family as we continue to follow the Lord uh, along the many varied paths in which He leads us. He's always at work. Uh, Pastor Danny and I didn't plan the fact that we would be singing the creed this morning, nor that in the conclusion of the sermon I would mention a line from the creed that we believe in the communion of the saints. Does anybody know what that even means, that thing that you believe in? Uh, we don't think about it much, but it is a reality and it is a blessing for us. I experienced a manifestation of what that means about a month ago. I saw something on Facebook Marketplace that I absolutely had to have. And so I wrote, and we met at Target parking lot, and I haven't used it since, and Miriam is wondering, where are we going to store this thing that we might use occasionally? But I had to have it, and I got it. Met at Target parking lot, the exchange took place, and then I said, hey, is there any way that I can pray for you? Turns out, this man was a fellow believer. We spent about 20 minutes, might have been longer than that, talking at a fairly deep level uh, and then praying for each other in light of what was going on in our lives at that time. That just doesn't happen. You don't meet a stranger on the street and talk about the kind of things that we discussed and then pray for each other. Uh, some might say it was coincidence. It wasn't. It was the Lord bringing His people together for a moment of deep connection as brothers in Jesus Christ. There's a theological basis. There's a biblical basis for that kind of understanding of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. And so that is what we will be talking about this morning, actually. Now, this discussion in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 takes place in the context of a larger argument that Paul is presenting to the believers in Corinth about not being involved in worship of idols not participating in the feasts that were dedicated to idols. And as an example of why they wouldn't be involved in that kind of meal, he brings the meal that we are participating in today, the communion table. And based on what is naturally understood to the Corinthian believers about communion, he then has a point to make about the worship of idols. So our focus this morning is not on the larger argument, but on the truth that the Apostle Paul draws out uh, and makes, and, and the point that he makes very clearly about the communion of the saints uh, and how that then is uh, brought out in our own lives. So we're reading together 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. 
Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. Paul starts out talking about the cup of thanksgiving. Now, those are pretty clear words. Just about anybody can read those words, and they have in mind a cup, and it's something that you are giving thanks for. And we as believers understand immediately that we're talking about the cup that is shared at communion. But sometimes there are words that have a, a basic meaning that pretty much everybody would understand. Yet, if you are part of a particular context or part of a particular culture, there is so much more impact behind those words. They're packed full of meaning. For example, if I were to say to you this morning, sometime in the next year or two, Carrie Alliance Church is going back to Jordan Lake, about half of you would say, that's cool. I like Jordan Lake. I've been there before. Sounds like we might have a nice time together. And about half of you would say, oh, that's just wonderful, because it brings up in your mind images of worshiping in the sandy beach beside the lake. You remember people who have been baptized there. It brings back the image of a pig picking and a picnic together under the shelter and long hours of fellowship and laughter with music playing in the background and then, and then games back on the beach and kids hanging out together and just an incredible day of worship and of fellowship together at Jordan Lake. Now, I do hope we're doing that. We've been talking about that for a couple of years, and then COVID happened and all that. So I don't know if Kelly Miller's out there. I bet Kelly would love to say, yes, we're going back to Jordan Lake. Point being, everybody understands Jordan Lake. But if you've been part of the experience, it has that much more meaning and even emotional impact for you. Well, when Paul talks about the cup of thanksgiving, that term, though it makes sense to us, was packed full of meaning for many of the believers at Corinth because it is a direct reference to the cup of blessing that was part of the Jewish Seder meal, the celebration of Passover. It is the cup of blessing that takes place towards the end of that meal that wraps up the entire experience of that family remembering together, not only remembering but reenacting what God had done so many years ago on the day of Passover, delivering the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, the day of, of foundation of national identity, and as a family went through that litany every year, repeating certain questions from the children and answers from the parents, reenacting the events of the Passover, personalizing 
their participation in the events of that day, the identity of a nation was formed over and over and driven more deeply into each one who participated. And then Jesus took that cup that was so rich with meaning, that cup of blessing, and He lifted it up at what we refer to as the Last Supper, when He and His disciples were celebrating the Passover together. And He gave even more meaning to it as He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it. So Paul is describing here Jesus, our Redeemer, and the identity that we have in Him as believers, an identity as a people of God who have been delivered from sin by our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And Paul says, when you take this cup of thanksgiving, you are participating in the blood of Christ. The word for participation is one that is familiar to many of us. If you have studied the New Testament, you've run across it. We've even anglicized the word, and sometimes you'll hear uh, believers refer to koinonia, to fellowship, and fellowship is something that we can have with each other. But more often in the New Testament, the idea of fellowship is used not just for something that we have, but something that we participate in, an activity that we are part of. For example, Paul writes to the Corinthian believers about an offering that is being taken throughout the whole Christian world on behalf of the poor. And he says, you can participate you can have a part of, you can fellowship together in this offering by playing your part. And so fellowship is, is participating in a larger activity together with others. It can also refer to participating with Jesus Christ in His redemptive activity. What I mean is this, Paul writes to the Philippian church, and he says that he longs to know Christ. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship or the participation in his sufferings. And lest we lose track of what he means by fellowshipping in Christ's sufferings, he goes on to say... I want to know Christ, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, joining with Christ in His death, so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Participating or fellowshipping together is sharing in the provisions and the benefits of a certain activity, and in this case, sharing in the provis provisions and the benefits of the cross. How amazing is that? The old hymn says, can it be that I have an interest in the Savior's blood? Not just a claim upon or a belief in, but an interest. I'm part of it, and it's part of me. 
So Paul says here, when we participate in this cup, we are participating in the redemptive activity of Jesus Christ. The cup of communion describes a covenantal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in which we enjoy the benefits and the provisions made for us on the cross. He then goes on in a parallel way to talk about the breaking of bread. Is not the cup of thanksgiving a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Reminding us, of course, of Jesus breaking the bread and distributing it to the disciples. This bread is my body. Take it. This bread is my body for you. Take it and eat of it. The breaking of bread is a a visible manifestation of what it means to fellowship with each other and with Jesus Christ. If you've had the opportunity to share a meal at any culture in which the meal starts with a common loaf of bread, usually it's flat bread, which the, the signal for the beginning of the meal is picking up that bread and breaking it and distributing it and everyone participates together. But it's more than a signal of a beginning of a meal. It is a visible way of describing the love and the fellowship that we have together as we participate in the one loaf. Communal participation expressed in the breaking of bread together. Participation in Christ's body, which has been given over for us. That's what's expressed in what we do today, and that's what Paul is reminding the believers in Corinth about. To really get hold of this, we need to understand the idea of what it means to be in Christ, participating in the blood of Christ, participating in the body of Christ, being in Christ. This is a concept that is used throughout the writings of the New Testament. In particular, Paul talks a lot about what it means to be in Christ. He's talking about a spiritual realm of existence that we enter into in the day that the Holy Spirit gives us new life and new birth. By faith, we leave behind the realm of sin and death in which we live, and we enter into a whole new realm of existence, being in Christ. It helps us to understand that being saved is not simply something that occurs at one particular moment. Being saved is transferring into a whole new life in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're thinking of the book of Galatians where Paul says, I have been crucified in Christ in that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He has gone from the realm of of Paul into the realm of Christ, having been crucified 
along with Christ, now having Christ dwelling in him and living in him. He's not just referring to that moment that he was crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. He's talking about every moment because now he lives in Christ. This is his new realm of existence. That's why he writes to the Corinthian believers. If any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. That's why in Ephesians chapter 1, he talks about the abundant, the incredibly amazing list of spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. In Christ, we are chosen. In Christ, we are redeemed. In Christ, we are adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. In Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we are sealed, marked for redemption. In Christ, all of these great promises and blessings are ours. Blessed be his name. We are in Christ. And so when we come to this table... We are visualizing, we are personalizing, we are manifesting over and over, driving home our new identity as a son or as a daughter of the living God, participating in, having a share in, having an interest in, a a vested interest in what Christ has accomplished on my behalf because Thanks to him, I have a whole new glorious realm of existence. And so the cup of thanksgiving is a participation in his blood, and the bread that we break is a participation in his body. And having made that point about this vertical relationship that we have with Jesus Christ entering into that covenantal communal relationship with him, Paul goes on to talk about what that means for our relationship with each other. Let's read again verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 10. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. Paul presents here the basis of unity, the basis, if you will, of the communion of the saints as being our mutual participation in the body of Christ. Now, we've kind of depersonalized it because we don't have one loaf here. There's actually a little cracker in every cup that is going to be passed out this morning. And that's okay, because Paul isn't actually talking about a physical loaf. He's talking about Jesus Christ. When we come to the communion table, we are participating in Jesus Christ. We are in that relationship with him. And then what he describes here is the fact that if you are in Christ… And if you are in Christ, and if I am in Christ, then we are part of one body together. That's why Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ. Because all of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ 
are in him and therefore are in this covenantal relationship with each other. Communion has this vertical aspect, my participation in him, but it also has the horizontal aspect of our mutual participation in Christ, which means that we participate with each other. Let me say that again. Communion expresses our common participation in Christ, which means that we participate in common with each other. There is one body because we are in Christ. And when we come to the communion table, we identify ourselves not only with the Lord, we identify ourselves with each other, the people of God, the body of Christ, enjoying a level of unity and fellowship that is unrepeatable in any other context because it is only found in Christ. It's important to note that this unity takes place, this unity is experienced despite our plurality. Now, when we read the verse here in English, in the NIV translations, translation, it says, because we who are many partake of one loaf, we are one body. But there really is an even though, a concessive aspect to what Paul is saying here. Even though we are many, when we participate together, we are one body. The church at Corinth understood very well what it meant to be in plurality, to have diversity among them. The church in Corinth consisted of Jews and of Gentiles worshiping together. And you were talking about peoples of entirely different backgrounds and histories and value systems and cultures and understandings and ways of interacting. It was tough. It was hard to be together and to worship together, to accept each other and to be one in Jesus Christ. And so he tells them, despite all of these differences, we are one body. If you read through the whole of 1 Corinthians, it starts out with Paul talking about the difficulties of the differences. He outlines divisions within the church at Corinth because some people wanted to follow one leader and some people wanted to follow another and there's the third leader and Paul says, be rid of that. Did any of those die for you? Are you found in any of those? You are found in Christ. And so beyond any of the different ways that we might think or act or relate to each other, we are one in Jesus Christ. That unity runs far deeper than the surface things that make us different. United with Christ in faith and loyalty, we are united with each other in communion. That's what we remember as we come to this table today. And let's talk for a little bit about several things that that 
that, that means as we participate in the communion table? What are we proclaiming? How do we live it out? First of all, I don't think we would do well to completely ignore Paul's larger argument in this context. He's made the point, you, Tom, are a participant in the life of Jesus Christ. You live in a completely different spiritual realm. Why would you participate in idol worship, in the worship of idols? We must guard ourselves against sin because we're in Christ. I think sometimes we think of sin as that, yes, bad thing that is external to me that I did, but it's really not who I am, and so it doesn't matter that much. I'm going to keep pressing on. And yes, if you are in Christ, that is not who you are. Why then? Why dwell in it? Why live in it? Why allow it to have a place? We must have no part in it. You are in Christ. Therefore, sin is completely incompatible with who you are. Hear it again. You are in Christ, therefore sin is completely incompatible with who you are. Let's be rid of it. Let's not fiddle with it. Let's not mess with it. Let's not excuse it. Let's not tell ourselves we're getting better. We'll do better next time. But be done with something that is completely foreign to who we are. Now, if it weren't for the gospel of Jesus Christ, we'd be in a bad spot. Because Scripture acknowledges very clearly that even we as believers do sin. I'm not standing up here speaking a word of condemnation upon the children of Jesus Christ. You are found in Him as a child of God, He looks at you through the spilt blood of His Son and sees you as pure and holy and pleasing to Him. The call to be completely rid of sin is not a call to make yourself more pleasing to God. That can't happen, and Jesus Christ has already done it to the fullest extent. The call to be completely rid of sin is a call to personal integrity, to live according to who you already are, to break the chains of that old world that you have already stepped out of, and to leave it behind by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. When we come to this communion table, we are saying, that world of sin is no longer my world because I am a participant 
in the blood of Jesus Christ and in the body of Jesus Christ. And the condemnation of sin is no longer a word of condemnation upon me because I am a participant in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Second, when we come to this table, it is a conscious reminder to actively guard the unity of the body of Jesus Christ. As we continue through the upper room discourse in John 13 through 17, we will hit on the essential nature of Christian unity as an expression of who we are in Jesus Christ. But it's an area where Satan loves to attack over and over. It is that chink in the armor that he loves to creep in on and get a hold of and cause division among the body. So we have to constantly be aware. Yes, there is plurality. We are people of diverse backgrounds and understandings and way of interacting and ways of interacting. We are people who have a variety of personal preferences on a whole range of issues. But far deeper than any of those questions, any of those issues, any of the things that might irritate us, any of the things that might make it difficult to work with each other, far deeper than that is the fact that you and I, each one of us in Christ, are one with each other. And that theme is deeper and more pervasive than any other question and is what we must cling to as the body of Christ. As we enjoy and not only struggle through the ways that we are different from each other, as we bless each other using the diverse gifts of the Holy Spirit at work among us and through us for building up the body of Christ. A third thing, as we come to the communion table, let us be grateful for the communion of believers. I didn't know we were going to sing the creed, and I thought it might be really confusing to have the communion of the saints, uh, the communion of believers. It's the same thing, and it's so meaningful for us. As I considered this message for this morning, the fact that we were having a communion service, what would we talk about together? I remembered that this is our first communion as a church family since our dear brother, Pastor Mitchell, went to be with the Lord. How do you celebrate together in light of so heavy a loss for so many of us? And one thing is to remember that we continue in fellowship with our brothers and sisters who have gone before us. Now, they're not here. We're not talking with them. The fellowship doesn't take place on the same level as it used to take place, but the fellowship is not broken. When we say we believe in the church or are part of the church, this is what the church is. The whole community of faithful followers 
of Jesus Christ, living and dead, everywhere and throughout all time. So when we come to the communion table and celebrate what it means to be in Christ, we remember those who have gone before us and thank the Lord that we continue in this larger fellowship that surpasses space, surpasses time, and yes, even surpasses death. What a blessing it is to be part of that body. We remember that together. There's another implication of that. You might see every single Sunday morning, pray for the persecuted church. And some might wonder, why do we keep talking about that? Yes, pray for the persecuted church. One commentator in talking about this passage actually puts aside the word unity and uses the word solidarity. In other words, single identity. That's what we have because we are in Jesus Christ. And so this gives us a basis on which to remember not just to remember, but to feel, to experience, to personalize our solidarity with brothers and sisters who suffer for the faith around the world. We are in Christ, and therefore we are one with those who suffer for the faith. And as we pray with them, we strive with them at the communion table. And then finally, when we come to this table, let us participate in the communion of believers. One of the commentaries I read was written in the year 2000, which to me seems pretty recent, but actually it was a little while ago. It's been a day. And he said, no more Lone Ranger Christianity. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty confident that in the last 23 years, the church in general has moved further down the road of Lone Ranger Christianity. I don't really need the church. I don't need to be there on Sunday morning. I don't need to participate in the body of Christ. I believe in Jesus. I'm just following Him. That is absolutely contrary to what it means to be in Christ. To be in Christ is to be part of a body. It is to worship together. It is to serve together. It is to rejoice together and to weep together. It is to carry each other's burdens. It is to fulfill all of the one another's of Scripture that we can't go into this morning, but maybe we will someday. We come to the communion table. What a wonderful opportunity to confirm our identity in Christ and also to remember and to celebrate and to affirm for ourselves what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this table. Our day-to-day -day life distracts us in so many ways, calling our attention 
to the obligations and the activities and the entertainments of the world around us, which so often then draws our attention away from the incredible joy and blessing and privilege of what it means to be in Christ. That you, the holy God, completely separate from sin and entirely different than us in all of your majesty and glory and power, that you would welcome us into your presence because of Christ. Thank you. Forgive us, Lord, when we forget. When it is just kind of assumed and we go on with our lives while this deeper reality sits on the back burner. Lord, as we participate today, remind us daily of what it means to be in Christ, to have the presence of Christ manifest in us, through the presence of your Spirit, to love you with our whole heart and mind and soul and strength, and to love our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.